Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. So we've got a great interview coming up, but first, we just want to give you a little something on the recent developments in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I promise we'll get a full episode and whatnot, but we just want to get a few things off our chest. Joshua, you want to just go first? Recently, over the past week, thousands of rockets have been shot by Hamas into Israeli towns and into Israeli land. And Israel has been mounting strikes to strike back at those terrorists that are launching these missiles. The conflict, of course, it hasn't been this bad in decades, but the conflict itself is rooted in many years since the founding of the Jewish state in 1948. And the truth is that unfortunately right now, there are just no solutions, no feasible solutions to the conflict that would fully satisfy both sides. And the truth is that both Palestinians and Israelis are staying here in this land, regardless of what either side thinks. But Hamas, a terrorist organization that has been attacking Israel for decades and that lives in Palestinian land currently, it's the dangerous terrorist organization that has substantially worsened the conflict through all these missile strikes and constant terrorist attacks. And obviously, when Israel mounts airstrikes to combat these terrorists, the problem is that Hamas lives among the Palestinian people. And as a result, airstrikes are difficult to mount and sometimes result in civilian casualties. I mean, you're right. The IDF does try to limit casualties. And yes, there have been condemnations of Hamas or condemnations of um, Israeli actions in in Gaza. uh, Hamas has controlled Gaza. But this all really started with Sheikh Jarrah and the evictions there. This is a court case that has not been decided yet. The evictions in and of themselves have not happened yet because the court, Israeli Supreme Court, has not decided on it. I just want to say this. This is probably the worst it's been since you know, 2014. And the calls that this is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Zionism is at fault here. It's a colonial apartheid state. Deeply misunderstand the history of this conflict. Yes, President Prime Minister Netanyahu has taken it way too far. Yes, the frequent evictions and the frequent you know, expansion of settlements into the Palestinian Authority territory in the West Bank are terrible and they do need to stop and it is a provocation, but can't ignore the history of this conflict. As you said, Joshua, this is going on since 1948. You know, Zionism has nothing to do with this conflict. Zionism is just the right of the Jewish people to self-determine in their ancestral homeland. Jews are indigenous culturally, genetically to the land of Judea, to what we now call the land of Israel. And if you agree that Tibetans and Kurds should have self-determination in their homeland, why not Jews? Really, the only reason it got this way do we have this unsustainable situation with disproportionate civilian casualties on the Palestinian side is because originally in 1948, the British decided to leave this ethnic conflict not to mediate, but to just get out an Arab indifference to the actual Palestinian suffering because they were the ones who attacked Israel in the first place in 1948. They were the ones who came in and tried to destroy the state of Israel in what the Israelis call World of Independence, but the Palestinians call the Nakba because Palestinians were split apart either as Arab Israelis or Palestinians. And there are refugees only now in the West Bank and Gaza, but in 
Syria and Jordan, and no one talks about that because the surrounding Arab states don't care. Those leaders don't care. It says Bibi panders to the far right in Israel. The Palestinian Authority, Hamas, don't care about their citizens and rejected peace multiple times. This conflict is about the leaders using the people as pawns. Right. Well, to your previous point about Zionism, I definitely agree that this conflict has nothing to do with the idea of Zionism. The thing is, the media, unfortunately, has been covering Israel, I believe, in an inaccurate way where they try to portray Zionism as the defining factor before what they're all doing. And uh, it's just not it. It's just a misrepresentation of the box. Right. And did they call, and uh, unfortunately, the prevailing narrative is that Israel and Zionism as a whole is colonialism or it's apartheid. But that's simply not the case. It is simply, you cannot colonize a land that you are indigenous to. That's an act of decolonization. Yes, there are Palestinians there. They do deserve the right to be in their homeland. That is true. And yes, I condemn Palestinian suffering. I condemn the terrible behavior by the IDF and acceleration of um, settlements that encroach on the original Oslo Accords. But that's just it. I acknowledge the actual understanding and context and history around what's happening now. It's not just 1948 and everything past 2005. It's everything that happened in between 1948 and 2005. And that includes the fact that in 1967, Israel won a defensive war, and they won the West Bank, Gaza, and uh, Yohan Heights. And that means if you win defensive war, according to international law, that is your land. Israel has the right to that land. And in the Oslo Accords, the Palestinians agreed to this setup, agreed to the A, B, and C in the West Bank. They agreed to uh, the certain arrangement. And so it can't, it's not apartheid. It's not colonialism. It was an agreement. Yes, it's outdated. Yes, it's past its shelf life. But this is not apartheid. Palestinian Authority has control of what happens in the uh, West Bank, and Hamas was also elected to run Gaza. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning that I believe 20% of the Israeli population are Palestinians that live as normal citizens in Israel and live normal lives in Israel. Whereas, you know, Palestinian populations don't have, well, any Jews living inside of them. Right. Most, most Palestinians live inside areas A and B, which are civilian controlled by the Palestinian Authority, with some military control by Israel that's agreed on between the Palestinian Authority and Israel. Go back to Gaza for a second. The Associated Press building, uh, apparently Israel bombed a building with the Associated Press and Al Jazeera uh, headquarters in Gaza. And the reasoning the IDF gave was that there was weapons manufacturing going on there. The Associated Press said, we do not put our journalists in danger. You know, we never saw anything like that. Now, let's assume the AP is right. Then yes, that's a war crime under national law. But here's the thing. If there was weapons manufacturing going on, as the IDF said, then yes, the IDF was right to bomb the building. Because under national law, a civilian building being used for terrorist activities can be attacked because it waives its right to... Uh, you know, civilian protections. And Israel does give, as I said before, they do give, they do try to limit civilian casualties, and they did give the Associated Press an hour warning to evacuate the building. Yeah, and assuming that the IDF was keeping within its own protocol international law, then I'm, I'm assuming Israel is going to produce some solid proof soon. Hamas puts activities all over the territory, which harms Palestinian life, it harms civilians, and look, Yes, are civilian casualties disproportionate? Yes. But that in no way does that mean that Israel is a big bad. It's only one side. It's not. You have to understand the history that's behind us. We'd like to welcome Alady Gold from South Africa. Alady, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. What's your personal political stance? I guess I'm sort of <laughs> uh, neutral. So how is South Africa currently dealing with COVID-19 and are you satisfied with your government's rollout? Well, our government's sort of struggling at the moment. Um, they're not really handling it very well. We've only had about 0.5% of our population vaccinated, um, which compared to the US where I think about 30 or 35% has been vaccinated. Uh, we're definitely behind on that. Uh, the government hasn't really uh, had enough funds uh, mostly to order enough vaccines. Um, so obviously we're a third world country, we're developing. So the government doesn't really have enough money to fund vaccine rollout very quickly. Um, so only first line healthcare workers have really gotten the vaccine so far. What do you think are the problems behind the government's poor response to, to COVID-19? Well, I think we definitely have very high unemployment rates. We obviously struggle with having enough money. The government is also quite corrupt in our nation. Um, and a lot of the funds for COVID um, that were lent to us actually by, I think, the IMF, the World Bank, no one really knows what happened to them. So I think definitely having uh, like politicians in power that mainly are power hungry and um, yeah, possibly corrupt uh, definitely does lead to this issue. And of course, uh, having such a, a population where a lot of people live in townships, which is, uh, I'm not sure, I don't think America really has townships. It's essentially on the outskirts of each town or city um, in South Africa. We have townships, which is where people that are unemployed or don't have enough money for houses essentially live in very crowded, tight-knit spaces in huts and very, very confined areas, which leads to a rapid spread of COVID. And it's very hard to control. So that also is definitely one of the main problems that the government's struggling with. Has the government tried to encourage more people in townships to go to urban centers? Uh, yes, we do have something called RDP housing, which is the government's way of trying to yeah, essentially give people homes and build homes for people. But again, developing country and our government really doesn't have enough money to put towards these houses. So some people I know wait for 15, 20 years before they actually get a government built house. So basically there's a lack of funds all around. And a lot of people find community in those townships and almost don't want to move away as well. So yeah, it's a very difficult situation to deal with. With regards to government corruption, I mean, where do you think the problem lies? Do you think it lies within your elected officials, within the president, or do you think it lies within South Africa's political system and its structure itself? So right now, our government who is in power is the ANC, which stands for the African National Congress, and they have been the elected party since 1994. We do have elections every five years, I think, but they have been elected each year since 1994, since the end of apartheid. And there are definitely a lot of corrupt people in that party especially, you know, high up ministers, even ministers of finance and uh, education and things such as that, who have access to, you know, those funds and often exploit it. Um, many, many people have been found to be very corrupt. And there's actually evidence against them that they've stolen government funds, such as our previous president, Jacob Zuma, 
who was eventually taken out of office um, because of all the cases against him for corruption and all of those types of things. Um, so definitely within the party, um, of course, that doesn't mean that other parties aren't also don't also have corrupt officials. They definitely do. And perhaps it's to do with the political system as well. But um, most certainly in the ruling party, there are many corrupt people. This current party has so much corruption and so much trouble. How has it been able to stay in power for, for almost 30 years? Well, obviously, the ANC was the party that brought South Africa out of apartheid. So they were championed by Nelson Mandela. You know, he was the leader of the ANC. He was our first democratic president who ended that, you know, racist regime in which uh, all people of color were oppressed and weren't given the right to vote. And so the ANC is sort of seen as the, the people who fought for our freedom. And of course, there are still many amazing people in the party. And our president right now, I don't think, <laughs> is a, a corrupt. And he's very good. And he was also one of the people who helped to fight against apartheid. But of course, um, in the eyes of the people, especially people of color in our country, which makes up about you know 80% of the population, the ANC you know, their leaders, and they were the people that brought them to freedom. So, of course, they still support them, even though there's a lot of corruption. But I, I feel that the other parties would also have corrupt leaders in them. You mentioned uh, race relations. So with regards to that, apartheid may have ended thir almost 30 years ago, but I'm sure that there are still lasting impacts from it. Well, there are many government initiatives to try to go against all of the divides that were created in apartheid for universities, um, people of color will get preference. You have to have a certain number of people of color in different sports teams. You know, there, there has to be a way in which they can try to level out the differences that were created. And of course, um, apartheid still manifests in the vast differences in the amount of money that people have in our country. So there's a really, really large gap between rich and poor in our nation. We have one of the greatest gaps. People that were brought up under apartheid and were oppressed as people of color, they didn't have a right to an education past sixth grade. They you know, weren't given jobs. They weren't allowed to study at uh, tertiary educations for a large amount of that time. So, of course, many, many people are struggling and the repercussions of the apartheid era are still very evident in our society today, both in the division of race and the division of money. So I'm wondering if in your country you have civil rights movements or groups like what we have in the U.S. that are currently seeking to try to close the gap. Um, we definitely do, especially during uh, like June, July of last year, around the same time as the George Floyd murder in uh, America and that whole Black Lives Matter movement. There was a similar movement here uh, to an extent, of course, you know, it sort of spread all across the world. And um, there were a lot of instances of police brutality under the COVID-19 restrictions under lockdown. There was a few instances where police were, you know, killing, a shooting at people um, and also at protesters, in fact, with rubber bullets and like tear gas. But of course, our police force are mostly also people of color. So it wasn't really seen as a race issue as much as a police brutality issue. 
there isn't necessarily a sort of civil rights movement right now. The leading party right now are people of color, for the most part, the ANC, that is mostly their racial identity. And so I presume people of color don't feel as oppressed anymore, of course, because their leaders are in power. But there is definitely still a fight to like close those divides. And uh, there was a big uproar against um, statues and monuments of white apartheid leaders uh, on university campuses and things such as that. And many, many people in our uh, country protested against that and said that there should rather be people who actually brought our country to freedom, that they should replace those statues. Moving on to foreign policy. What do you believe is the current relationship between South Africa and the United States? And kind of expanding beyond that, what nations do you think South Africa is close to? Well, South Africa is very close ties to China, actually. Um, We do a lot of trade with China. Mostly, we're, we're obviously on a trade deficit, which means that we import more products than we export, uh, which isn't really great for our economy. We don't have a very strong relationship with the US because, yeah, they, I mean, they don't really invest in us very much, but we definitely have close relations with China. And we're also part of a trade organization that's been formed called BRICS, which consists of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. So essentially the leading uh, economies in those uh, continents. So um, that's sort of a trade uh, path that we partake in. And those countries are the ones that we trade with the most. Do you believe that South Africa has an economic future? Uh, At this point, um, we're definitely not increasing in our economic stability. We're definitely decreasing. And of course, COVID had a massive impact on that. But we have been struggling for many years. Um, Our economy really doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't have a very bright future. We do have gold mines and um, we mine minerals and diamonds, but we don't have the industrial facilities in order to actually manufacture goods. And so we mostly export raw products, which other countries then manufacture. And of course, a manufactured good is a lot more valuable than raw materials. So our country doesn't really have the funds or the facilities to build a very strong economy. Um, And of course, the government corruption doesn't help the fact that many people who are in positions of power are not very qualified for those positions doesn't help. Um, A lot of people are actually put into very high positions of power just due to being, you know, a family member of another parliament member. So there's really not a very good process for choosing representatives and choosing parliament leaders. From what you know, do you believe South African elections are secured and do they have high turnout? I do believe that they're secure. I haven't participated in one, but both my parents have. It seems like a very fair process. I don't think that that is in any way rigged or, you know, uh, the ANC or the leading power isn't in charge of counting the votes. Um, There are, you know, representatives in each town and each uh, province, which is our version of a state, who count the votes. And I think that it, it is a fair process. There's never been any uproar about the elections being rigged or votes not being counted. Um, So I definitely do think that's a fair process. 
there's very good turnout at our elections. Um, the majority of my, you know, town does turn up there. Um, and I'm sure in different towns, it is the same. Usually in the elections, the uh, results are very skewed towards one party. It's not as close as America at all. Usually the ANC wins by a landslide due to, of course, the massive support, especially amongst people of color and white people. But obviously 80% of our population are people of color. And so they would support the ANC. Um, so they almost always win. And I feel that that is like a, a true representation of our, the people of our nation. Most people are very proud of voting in our nation um, now as 30 years ago, they weren't allowed to vote at all. So people take pride in voting in our elections now that they are given that freedom and that chance. Is there anything you'd like to tell our viewers here today? I'm very grateful to have grown up here. Um, and we have like, you know, incredible nature. And the government does do a very, very good job at maintaining, you know, the natural beauty and trying to, you know, save the environment and um, protect our beaches and our oceans. So although we are struggling economically, I think our nation does have many things to offer. And of course, the tourism industry was hit very hard by COVID. But hopefully, um, in a few months, that will be back up and running and um, people can come and experience our country. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. It's a pleasure having you and we'd love to, you know, have you back anytime. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zers Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zers Talk Poly, with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>